You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 105, Hotel Transylvania 2. I love your chocolate cereal. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Welcome, welcome to Hotel Transylvania. Welcome again, animation fans, to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Tonight, we are finishing our double header with Hotel Transylvania 2. And so uh, thank you all for <laughs> still being on, still watching us, even though we're uh, half an hour late. <laughs> Technical difficulties are always a thing with us. So we wouldn't be as great as we are without technical difficulties. So we'll just, we'll just say that. By the way, everyone, happy Inktober. Shameless plug for my own Inktober sketchbook. This is a little little cartoon, a little Bella Lugosi down here. So, Or Lugosi, sorry. So hope everyone is filling their sketchbooks, the ones that want to be artists. And, uh, yeah, I am super stoked because we're in October, and that means Halloween, which if you have ever listened to the podcast, that is my favorite. Yeah, it is my favorite holiday besides my birthday, Argentina's Independence Day, and Christmas. So, yeah, it's pretty high up there. Oh, man. And just for the occasion, I pulled out my skull and crossbones scarf for y'all. Hey! Because, you know, it needed to be done. Chelsea's getting spooky! (laughs) All right. So today we are covering Hotel Transylvania 2, which, you know, just came out about two weeks ago, which means that if you have not seen this film, you are most definitely going to be spoiled in every way so enter at your own peril but even if you're here we love having you so yeah let's just keep going yeah so if you have not seen the movie this would be a good time to press pause go find the movie at your local theater if it has not come out yet then i'm very sorry it will be coming out soon so just be patient and eventually it'll come out and yeah because we will be talking about it in depth also, special guest appearance by Jimmy, who I can hear barking <laughs> in the background. Let me go get that. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy! Jimmy, oh, no! Well, um, we're... Wow, this is... Hey, this is episode 105. Yeah. Like, we are well into our hundreds now. This is our fifth... You know, it's our fifth live broadcast, so obviously there's still going to be issues. So thank you so much for being so, so thoughtful and waiting for us. But we'll get a hang of this, I promise. Play Morgan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's just jump right into the main discussions, shall we? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I... What? That's not how that one goes. What's wrong with... Suffer, suffer, scream in pain. Blood is spilling from your brain. Daddy. Come on, you know how I sang it to you. Zombies gnaw you like a plum. Piercing cries and you succumb. Still works. Ever since Johnny and Mavis had their little monster, I've been the happiest vampire in the world! Are we sure he's a vampire? (laughs) Technically, you have until you're five to get your vampire fangs. Oh, he'll get his fangs. He's just like me. Look at him! Blah, blah, blah. I don't say blah, blah, blah. We've been talking about moving somewhere safer for Dennis. But then I'll be all alone. Yeah, don't give me the pouty bat face. We gotta teach this kid how to be a monster. 
Wow. If we get his fangs to come out, Mavis can't leave. Robbie, you okay out there? He's fine. He's blobby. Okay, Murray, show him how to be scary. Oh, my back. For real? We are so happy you came to visit. I love California. 48 flavors. This place is open all night. Right, sir? Yes. <laughs> He's gonna wanna move. I gotta fix this kid now. How are we doing? Oh, he's adorable. How cute. You know who could fix the kid in a snap? Vlad. Hi, Dad. Are we ready to do this? <laughs> Guys, we're running out of time. Sorry, Blobby. We really meant to call you sooner. <laughs> okay, fellas, plan B. Coming through. Happen on! Hit it! Are you kidding me? Uh, first of all, my favorite quote from the film, He'll be fine. He's Blobby. <laughs> I've been saying that all week and everyone on campus... Uh, has been really annoyed with me. <laughs> He's well, we're doing a we're doing a programming project where we have to make a blobby shape, and so every time they say blobby, I'm like, it'll be fine. He's blobby. <laughs> They're like, all right, already. <laughs> I don't know if any of you can relate to that being really into quoting animated films, and everyone's just like, all right, we've heard that like 50 times. Literally, <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> uh, uh, this film had a lot of quotes, but you know, I think the great ones. These, this film so early, um, not so early, but when we do these films that are new releases, I personally don't have that audio memory like Mason does, where he basically memorize a whole movie seeing it once. And so I feel that I missed out on a lot of the quotes that I loved in the moment, but couldn't really recall, um, you know, now. And so it's there's pros and cons of doing new films for me at least i feel like a film that's been out a few years i definitely can go back i can rewatch it i can actually go and look up the quotes um but i digress so let's talk about this film again we have talked about the first one in episode 104 so it is done by the exact same studio sony pictures animation funny how that happens um, <laughs> it's crazy if you know a studio picks up the sequel or the franchise later on and tries to do a continuation. Now, that has happened, but this one not so much. It was directed by Jendi Tartakovsky and only Jendi Jendi uh, Tartakovsky this time. Yes, this Jendi, sorry. And it was recently released on September twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. Now, something interesting about this film is that the budget was around eighty million dollars, which is actually less five million less than the original film. Um, and one reason for that is, well, this film came out and almost immediately they announced that they were going to be doing a sequel for it. Um, and so they were able to use a lot of the same models and, you know, they didn't have to spend so much time designing the majority of the characters because they were already designed. So they were able to save some money there. Uh, and which, which, you know, even if it was a little bit more expensive, wouldn't have hurt because they have done incredibly well. The film so far as of today has made $150.5 million worldwide. To Hello. 
Mojo. So yes, these facts are coming from Wikipedia and Box Office Mojo. Uh, it opened number one in its opening weekend, um, and it set a new September opening record with $48.5 million. And this actually beats the previous record that the original Hotel Transylvania film set. Which is pretty exciting because I think Sony really has found their spot with these September releases. Cloudy with a Chance of Falls, both of those films were released in September. Um, I'm doing this thing on our Instagram and you know all our social media called This Day in Animation History. And basically the whole month of September has just been a, an homage to Sony Pictures Animation's films because that's the when they, they like to pick their films to come out because there's not as much competition and they're able to do quite well for the budget. So congratulations to everyone there for this film. Um, actually, the film, you know, one thing that I do want to talk about with the release, now this is very present and in the moment, but there was this review embargo. So ah. you had gone to Rotten Tomatoes a few days before trying to see what the critics were saying about this film. You wouldn't find anything. And I can speak firsthand to this because in my press screening, they specifically called out that this they do not want any reviews going out until opening day. And and normally that's the case for my screenings because I go to local screenings. But even then, I feel like the national reviewers are able to, uh, you know, release their reviews much much earlier, sometimes weeks early. Hmm. Nothing new for me, but they were very very uh, adamant about that. Do not release until opening day. And so I was like, okay. And then I noticed a lot of people started tweeting us and talking to us about it. Like, Hey, how come there aren't any reviews? Um, so, you know, nonetheless, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes today, it's at a 50% rating. So it's not fresh because fresh is basically anything 50 and above. So still considered rotten, but there are 62 reviews, 31 fresh, 31 rotten. Ooh. The consensus is Hotel Transylvania 2 is marginally better than the original, which may or may not be enough of a recommendation to watch 89 minutes of corny, colorful animated gags from Adam Sandler and company. So, okay, the animation gags didn't come from Adam Sandler, but I, uh, the writing gags did, I guess. So my question is, why do you think Sony was so adamant about this press embargo? Do you think that they thought if they could embargo it long enough people would already have made up their minds and go see it were they fearing the worst <laughs> with this i mean it really is a bad sign when something is embargoed that no one is allowed to talk about it uh, yeah i don't really know much about the marketing side of or the business side of why they would do these things but maybe it's to not reveal major plot points i mean there is one mega spoiler i guess at the end but it's not like a how to train your dragon 2 spoiler you know you know, I think it's, it is for those people that if, if they've seen the first film, then they've already made up their mind that they're probably going to see the second going that it is, but going into October and blah, blah, blah. Um, by the time, blah, blah, blah. Um, by the time it goes into the, the, you know, when people would actually go and see this movie, it might not have done as well. Because, I mean, let's face it, critics are jaded myself included. Um, not as not in this film, though. I loved this film, so I, they should have just let us talk about it beforehand. They should always go to the rotoscopers first before exactly. they form their reviews. Exactly. So let's go into our thoughts about this film. Um, me, initially, uh, I told you last episode that I gave you a little sneak peek that I had seen the movie and I loved it and I couldn't wait to go see it again. Um, so unfortunately, I did not have time to go see it again, which is actually... <laughs> <laughs> that was 
three weeks ago, and I've only seen the film once, and so I'm trying to recall from three weeks ago, which, you know, I, I know the major points about the film, but I would have liked to if I had chance, but this was a very busy weekend, and so on and so forth, but... I like this film. It wasn't mind-blowing. It wasn't so amazing that I necessarily need to watch it again and again and again. However, I did feel that it was fun to see the characters back again. You know, Mavis and the spin that they take on her and Dracula and just the, the whole Drac pack. I did enjoy seeing these characters again, um, at least a second time. Yeah, yeah. One of the very first things that I thought as I'm watching this is, like, they're looking at the animation. The animation is not real at all and it's so cartoony nope. and so like drastic but i loved it i was like this is my type of humor and that's actually something i found as watching a lot of blu-ray commentaries and things from anything that was made by sony pictures is like everything that they do is sharp and and like quick changes and just like kind of that I don't know how to explain it but it's just it's its own humor that i totally get and i totally appreciate yeah, I was absolutely captivated by the animation. I really was. They they really pushed it into a, a realm that I, I really don't think a lot of animated films uh, in 3D have done before. Maybe Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, also Sony. And so uh, they, really, they pushed it to this amazing territory, but they pushed it at the expense of the plot of the film. And so I spent a lot of the movie like wondering if I was okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that fact or that relationship or that sacrifice affected my enjoyment of the film. Other people loved it. They were laughing the whole time. Like there were some adults like up on top of the row that were laughing the whole time. And there were kids there. That was, my <laughs> that was you, Morgan. <laughs> it was me too. <laughs> laughing at basically every joke that was presented to me on screen and no one else was. <laughs> oh man, I'm in the press section too. What a <laughs> high profile, you know, critics think of me, but <laughs> that was great. Yeah. It was enjoyable at the time. You know, there there were things that were very cliche and stereotypical. So they have the baby and then they're trying to baby proof the whole whole hotel. So they have that stairway that goes to nowhere and then <laughs> guards right there. I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I guess like with my first impressions that leads me into like a, a discussion on the animation itself of the film, because I think it's worth analyzing and talking about. Right. Like it, I, again, I was blown away. It's even more cartoony than the first one, as Chelsea said. And like, just everything from the timing of the movements to um, the variety of Dracula's facial expressions. You know, he has his like rest face or neutral face where his eyes are small and he's got the mouth and the fangs and his head is like this. But other times his eyes get really wide and sparkly and then other times they get really evil. And then sometimes he just transforms into like crazy evil red face Dracula, you know, that they do. <laughs> and when they have kind of like a monstrous mo moment and... <sighs> And uh, just the the huge range of it is straight up Tartakovsky. Like, that's straight out of all of his characters that he's created in all of his different shows. And, you know, in my interview with uh, Genny Tartakovsky, which you all should have watched by now, it's great, like, required reading, reading prep or required watching prep for this podcast. He talked about how 
even though they kept a lot of the same models and maybe they did some surface um, or texturing updates, maybe. They updated the rigs, which is the, the system that allows a character to be animated in the first place. They, um, they revamped those and made them even more advanced than before. And so rigging, which is my specialty in, uh, in animation um, and this, what I'm going to school for, is it's all about giving the animators freedom to do what they want. And when you have a director like Gendy Tartakovsky who says, I want to I want to interpose my style and my like cartoon um, wackiness and silliness onto these 3D models, you've got to have good riggers and you gotta have amazing versatile rigs. You gotta have rigs that allow your character to turn into a blur, just like a spline shape that just floats places or, you know, um, crazy character rigs like uh, the the racist bat dudes that get the crap beat out of them at the end. Like their face have faces have to contort and push while they're getting like punched around. And so, um, give some props to the technical guys on the pipeline who made those amazing rigs. Like that was just I couldn't even begin to fathom where to begin <laughs> on making stuff like that. And it brought me to this weird like epiphany. Do you remember when we interviewed Glenn Keane and he did all, he answered all those Facebook questions on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Um, he said in one of them, somebody asked, hey, what do you think about the big debate between hand-drawn and CG animation? And he said, quote, hand-drawn animation is free to come into its own now, ironically, thanks to computer technology. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I saw. It, it's like what this film is, it's... It's the next step in translating CG animation into the, the style and the spirit of hand-drawn animation. All right, so there are animation fans out there, even among the Roto Nation that we hold so dear, um, that, are, that are hardcore hand-drawn fans, and they tend to favor that over 3D. Well, now we're stepping into realms where 3D CG animation is literally capturing the spirit of of um, Chuck Jones, I almost said Chuck Norris. <laughs> Chuck Jones, <laughs> Tex Avery, and the greats from the Looney Tunes era, the golden age back then. And so it, it's interesting. People who hate on CG animation have no excuse to not see this movie just because of how masterful the animation is. It goes, it goes places that other studios haven't begun to really scratch the surface on. And I would say a lot of it is because of Gendy Tartakovsky's unique vision. Drop the mic. Not literally. There you go. I, I will agree. There's, I saw a lot of Looney Tunes in this. Like, every neck movement, every, like, like just everything is back and forth. And I just... I felt very much like it was really coming together, really. But the comedy itself was just so good. I just, I loved all the one-liners so much. Like, there's so many that I was like, this is this is really, really good. Um, it's one of my favorites. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I laughed about 90% of them, like, which is a whole majority of them. Um, there were a couple that I was like, didn't quite hit right, but... Like for the most part, this was so good. Um, the Sesame Street reference 
always one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of that stupid cake, puppet thing? Cakey the Cake cake, Monster. Cakey the Cake Monster. (laughs) Don't worry. Too much cakes makes your stomach ache. (laughs) Leads to diabetes. (laughs) Diabetes is not your friend. Oh, yeah. You know who the real monster is. Diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just funny. I'm sorry. so hard. Oh, my gosh. And it just made me so happy. I mean, gags, gags everywhere, gags up the wazoo, gags in the writing, gags in the animation. Like, you would watch something happen on screen, and you could always, like, let your eye wander to the background, and something weird and silly is always happening in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like it, the screen just captures your eye wherever it travels. There is no place safe for your eye. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then um, there's that one part when they're, like, driving... Uh, in the car and the guy's like do you know where we can find a bite honey did you really just ask count dracula where to find a bite it's like oh sorry sorry to bother you i love your cereal <laughs> i love your chocolate cereal i love your chocolate cereal it's like that was playing, it's like playing how awkward people are when they think they're being racist i think <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing that i uh liked about this film is that we were able to see the interaction between humans and monsters and some ah. still haven't quite figured it out which we'll talk about later with the in-laws and whatnot and others are totally normal and hey this is this is the world we live in man uh, <laughs> so i like that because it provided a lot of opportunities for funny just monster human dynamics and humor oh my gosh and then um there's the one where the phantom of the awkward starts singing awkward (laughs) and i I decided i I would always quote that all the time now that guy was really funny but i thought his character looked very different than the other characters like he didn't seem to fit in he looked like a real character a la shrek or yeah he looked like a real he looked more like a real person than a cartoon person that character specifically was one of those moments where i thought to myself are they trying too hard is this getting too oh that brings up another thing yeah Mm-hmm. Trying too hard. Well, I mean, there were some of them that I felt like, yeah, that was trying a little bit too hard. Like, eh. Like the the one where um, Blobby, the Blobby, like, has to go to the bathroom <laughs> off to the side of the road. I was like, okay, whatever. Oh, yeah, that part. <laughs> see, see, some of the, yeah, like, I think one area that they tried too hard was to try to push the inappropriate jokes. Like... <laughs> I don't know. They may or may not have pushed them further than Minions did. I'll leave it up to y'all. Minions had, like, potty humor, but it didn't have, like, what is with the hair? It looks like my grandmother's boobies, you know? <laughs> they didn't have anything like what Blob said. <laughs> it was still funny. I mean... And then when Blobby has to pee, that's... I don't know. That was gross. <laughs> it was like, what? But I did like those awkward moments that they threw in there. They had, like, three of them where it was just, like... You just sat there and stared at everybody for, like, two minutes. (laughs) And it wasn't funny at first, but then they go away, and then they come back to it. And then I laughed. I was like, okay, now that's funny. (laughs) It's like so much of the humor revolved around, like, hey, that would, like, a character's like, hey, that would be, like, this crazy situation. And then they show you that crazy situation to show you how funny it was that they said that, you know? You're like, or when Wayne was teaching tennis lessons. Okay, let's snap to Wayne teaching tennis lessons and show how funny it is. And that's very Family Guy, I think. It really is. I felt like a lot of the comedy was that kind of style. 
Mm-hmm. And I hate Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> so oh, comedy. But it's like, but I, you know, it's like, it's like he invent, he didn't invent it, but it's like it went so mainstream that type of comedy where someone stubs their toe and they're like, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, and they go on forever, and you're just that holding that moment is part of the comedy that was actually from Family Guy. The old rake joke. That's Simpsons right there. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's like that, except it's instead of short time five rakes, it's like one joke for five minutes. You know, that's like it's like kind of a switch on that. Who knows? Yeah. There was another one-liner that I've really enjoyed. Um, it's Laddie comes up to the in-laws he's like, "You smell different." The wife says, "Oh, you're European. It's called deodorant." <laughs> and his, her husband's like, "Nothing like insulting an entire continent, Linda." Oh, I love Nick Offerman. Nothing like insulting an entire continent, Linda. <laughs> oh man. I love the parents. Hey, and, and since it was so modern, you know, since we're introducing humans. Did you think it was weird that almost half the jokes had revolved around smartphones? <laughs> like Dracula trying to do the smartphone, Dracula smashing his smartphone to get, he's like, oh, they're static, you cannot hear me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they've done the old static jokes. I mean, that was back in the, the parent trap, and, you know, with regular phones, the touchtone phones, I guess, that they would do. But yeah, you know, I did, I'm not a huge fan of when technology is the main part of a film i mean when the film's not about technology like if it's a spy film or something like that like i get that but yeah no i you have to because it's a modern film set in a modern time yet at the same time it really dates the film if you try to in a very obvious way uh, if you try to watch it even you know five years later you, you we've all seen those films where someone's carrying a blackberry or a palm pilot or just some of those old school mm-hmm. you know, cell phones and you just look at it you're like oh you know and it's not their fault, but us being such a civilized, more modern society, we look at that and we look at their antiques. And it takes me away because every time I'm, I'm super focused on that phone and that model and what they're wearing. But I don't know. I didn't feel that this was too distracting. Um, did you? No, I felt like it, drive, it drove a lot of the situations, but it didn't, like, control the movie. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of weird that it's like, whoa, now it's, like, where, like, smartphones are, like, a thing, just, like, a normal thing and... and we're we're gonna we're gonna have some comedy bouncing off the the monsters that don't know how to use modern day technology, I guess. The one joke where they his little falling turns into a a viral YouTube video was pretty funny though. <laughs> they turn it into a mashup. Like yeah. A, they turn it into like a mashup remix. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! And his um his GPS. Yes, it's Igor. Oh, like, that's right. <laughs> I would so love to have Surrey sound like that. I oh, would really that would be that. so great if that voice actor like released it. He's like, well, how does he say? He's like, please enter your desire and destination. Please. please. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Yes. Yes. You have arrived at your destination. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I remember that. That was so cool. Oh my gosh. I I was in love in that moment. (laughs) I guess what I liked a lot about this film was how inventive they were. Oh yeah, this is what Shanna liked about the film, who also liked Hotel Transylvania too. So big news people like my wife also liked Hotel Transylvania too. Um, was how creative they got with 
this is how ordinary human situations are like, but for monsters, like this is how they handle things. This is how, this is their GPS, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when the humans try to appease the monsters by making them comfortable in their world, like it gets even worse. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the main cast undergoes like, it's kind of a big change. Like, I would say a lot of the characters are different now in in number two than number one, which is what I like, you know, in the finale or act three of your basic story structure, you're supposed to have most of the characters change. Like, the world or, or the world in the film is supposed to have changed, uh, maybe for the better if it's a happy ending. And so with sequels, sometimes you get it to where the characters go back to their old selves, you know? Um, sometimes. Mostly when they make like a spin-off TV show, and then Every Aladdin, and then episode. and then Aladdin is magically back to wearing his popper, his street rat clothes, and <laughs> and stuff like that. And yet Jafar is dead, uh, so I don't I don't get it. I don't get all that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, Dracula for one, he's changed. You know, he's become more accepting of humans, sort of. But has he accepted them in his heart? Um, <laughs> And so, uh, talk about a helicopter parent with poor little Dennis. He really wants him to be a, he wants to be a, a, a monster granddad. Which I didn't really understand. Like, how did he expect him to be, I don't know. I'm guessing through the whole thing, I was thinking if he was going to be anything, he would be like a mashup and not like fully neither here nor there. Like, is this monster gene? Is it just one gene where if you get it, like brown eyes, blue eyes, that's what you get? Yeah, they were making it seem like it was either one or the other. You're either human or you're a monster. Yeah. Can't have a blended hybrid of, of both. Um, well, you can, be like, you can be like that hipster dude. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, in Twilight, the, the vampire baby has sort of mix <laughs> of both of the parents where it has mortality characteristics and then uh, the vampire ones. And, uh, but- Creepiest freaking baby I've ever seen. I just, I mean... They never talked about this, but the whole plot, you know, so we haven't talked about Mavis yet, but ultimately it's one of the, the key things is will he or won't we? Won't he? Is he going to be vampire or is he going to be human? And, and the, the problems that's going to cause for various people in the family. And, yeah. you know, and Dracula goes out of his way to get Mavis and Jonathan out of the house. They go on this vacation and he is going to spend those last few, that last week, basically, you know, time is, is ticking. It's nearly his fifth birthday, and they have up until five years old to, you know, have their show their fangs, I guess. And why, if that was such a big deal, he really wanted him to be a vampire. Couldn't he have just bitten the baby? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, the whole time, I'm like, this would solve your problem. And what could you do after, you know, they come back? Oh, yeah. The vampire, and you'd say, oops. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you what I thought the ending was going to be like? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because spoilers, like, no one should still be listening that doesn't want to be spoiled. I thought what was going to happen was Vlad was going to show up to the um, the birthday party, and he was going to be really upset. You know, they would try to keep it secret that Dennis isn't a vampire, you know, he'll be, he's just a late finger, you know? And then, ah, 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 like, I got my vampires really mixed up. Um, <laughs> but then he would eventually find out, and then out of, you know, out of anger and, you know, and a desire to just nip the problem on the bud, he would attempt to bite, he would capture Dennis and attempt to bite him and turn him into a vampire. But then Mavis and Dracula would stop him and help him understand that Dennis 
is what he is, whatever he he, whatever he ends up be. being genetically. <laughs> right, it's not a choice. He was born that way. Um, he uh, whatever he ends up being, he had to accept and and then Vlad would have a change of heart maybe and that and is so, so much that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought Vlad was going to try to go to drastic measures and bite Dennis. But instead, you get this weird ending. And, and I guess we're skipping to the ending, but it's so confusing because I thought the ending was the weakest part of the film. And yet that was specifically what Gendy Tartakovsky told me. He was the most excited to show audiences. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I feel that the last third, you know, that whole birthday party slash Vlad coming to town, going to the party was, was, it just took away from the main central message of the film, which I think was Mavis's choice. Will Mavis ultimately, you know, whatever happens with Dennis, is she going to stay at the hotel or is she going to leave the nest? Um, and there were lots of things surrounding that, but that was really the main conflict, especially between Mavis and her father. They had this dynamic relationship. They loved each other. They've come together at the end of the first film. They were very close, but this kind of tore them apart. Um, and you saw that she went, and I can't wait to talk about her in the human world. We'll go back to that. But so then we go to this birthday party and I feel like we forced this villain on us, and you think it's going to be Vlad, but they didn't want to make Vlad a bad guy, apparently. So they, they have it be this this bat creature who we have no really association we, we with. We have no idea who he is until he shows up. No attachment. Well, I don't care if he dies. I don't care what happens to him because he's just this loser bat who's appeared. Um, he's And... And then there's this big brawl and whatnot, and it gets resolved, and then uh, Dennis turns out to be a vampire just in the nick of time, right? And it it really didn't work for me that last half, last third of the film. I, I, I everything that Mason just presented, I'm on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, yes, that's that's perfect. It goes right in line with where Mavis's storyline was going the whole time. Mm-hmm. I should write. I should write them. <laughs> be like, hey, can you like remake your film with the uh, new ending? <laughs> I anyway. felt like if they were gonna, if the way they could have fixed it in two things. One, they could have put Vlad in earlier and made that part of the main, you know, exposition. Right. Or they could have just cut him out entirely, yes. and then it would have just been the problem between Mavis and her dad. So. Either one would have worked for me. The ending, it was very fast, and so it was just like, mm, it wasn't my favorite. But I did enjoy every other part about this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My only beef is is the plot. But anyway, we've totally skipped over the talking about the characters, and I kind of want to go back to them. <laughs> Let's talk about Mavis, because we've been talking about the plot and her conflict. So what did y'all think of her? Mavis, to me, is the the best character in the film, in the first film and in this film. I think she's so interesting um, that she's now moved in this progression in her life from, you know, being single and kind of having Jasmine syndrome where she wants to get outside the palace walls to now being married, <laughs> having a child, and we see her transition in, in, in motherhood. Um, and not only that, a young mom, which is, I think, pretty cool because I think a lot of times you either see moms when they're in their 30s and 40s a little they're, late. They're more matronly. Yes, much more matronly, but she was like a cool, hip, young mom, and I thought I really liked that. Yeah, I, I loved the wedding. I loved watching them be parents. And Mavis, like, I wouldn't consider her my favorite character in the first one, but she was definitely probably my favorite character in the second one because she has such a stronger presence, and she's such a stronger character. Like, she's got more resolve and 
I would say she's the least flawed character out of all of them because I don't know. She just wants what she's taking all the right steps to make sure that her that Dennis is raised properly. You know, it's everyone else who's being selfish or wishy-washy, Jonathan. <laughs> but I think I think she's one of the most believable animated mothers that I've seen in recent history, except for maintaining her figure. But that's a cartoons. <laughs> that happened, especially for your first. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's it's number five and six that you have issues with. <laughs> Great. I guess I'll ask Wayne's wife. Yeah. The, the werewolf wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan, it's like, who? Oh, he was in that film? Yeah, I guess he was. It's like he, he hardly did anything in this movie. He had such a small presence. He said a couple Andy Sandberg-ish things, and then for the rest of the film, he's very wishy-washy, very much an object to be acted upon, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He did, he was just there to get her out of town, basically, which was sad because they had formed the Zing, this huge bond in the first film, the and, and he really lost his spunk, and he, he really kind of, like, was just a pawn for Dracula for a lot of it. And he had the amazing Dracula costume from the 1992 Bram Stoker's Dracula, which had, like, the worst version of Dracula that ever happened and a total waste of Gary Oldman's talent. <laughs> no, go go look at it. Look it up on imdb.com or something, or just Dracula 1992, and you'll see what I mean. It's the exact costume. <laughs> and then they keep making fun of it, like, that's not a vampire. That's horrible looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's so great but well yeah, and then, you're, you're right jonathan is very weak in this film well i just read something um one of our commenters luna penn she says mavis was a great mom but did mavis ever realize she wasn't ever considering jonathan's feelings Ooh. a little more and that's true jonathan in this film he really just was a limp noodle he didn't have an opinion he was the mouthpiece for dracula to make sure dracula got his way um which isn't that great of a, a relationship i guess yeah. yeah that's an interesting thing to consider i think jonathan was so this this happens sometimes in marriages where the husband is so easygoing that the wife just assumes he doesn't have any input and so she makes the decisions you know and so sometimes that happens maybe they were illustrating that but yeah that is an interesting little caveat so dennis talk about our little baby boy dennis is adorable he was the shining star in this film love that little guy and his hair oh the animation on his hair very reminiscent of merida so here is a crossover theory for you perhaps jonathan is the long lost descendant of merida <laughs> the long lost. <laughs> the long lost. I mean, he... like we've been searching for Meredith's descendants. <laughs> Continue the bloodline. <laughs> Who no. knows? Well, it 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 might work because it's assumed <laughs> at the end of Brave that she's gonna have a relationship with the awkward blonde-haired Viking. I mean, uh, Irish dude guy. You know, one of the suitors, the one the one who doesn't speak. English. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he has blonde hair, I think, right? And uh, Jonathan's mom has blonde hair. So, yeah, that might work. There we go. We're practically there. <laughs> I mean, by Disney theory standards, we're, we've got a solid theory. <laughs> I did really like the part when they combed his hair back 
and he still had the two tufts on the side. Okay, that was so uh, Grandpa from the Munsters, um, Al Lewis, who did that. Oh, that's right. Oh man, I just that's all I saw and I laughed really, really hard. I loved that part. How do you do that? How do you do that hair effect or I don't know. I'll ask someone on campus, they'll know. One day you'll work for a big animation studio and they'll be able to answer all. I'll, I'll, I'll send a memo to the hair and fur department and be like, hey, how do you, how would you do this? They're like, what? You're in rigging. What do you care? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the in-laws. The in-laws were really funny and really interesting. First of all, Nick Offerman as Nick Offerman. <laughs> I, 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 the more animation he does, the better. I'm all for it. I love the moment where, you know, Mavis is so excited. She's never been to their house before, and they are translating. Okay, how do we make a monster feel at home? <laughs> Play the monster bash and decorate her bed like a graveyard. Okay. And then, and then, uh, and then invite like mixed monster human couples to the house, and then they mistake that one dude for a werewolf, and he's just like a beard and a hipster. <laughs> All of us, like, there's some other mixed couples in the neighborhood. I'm like, mixed couples? What the heck? I mean, the mom doesn't mean any harm. She's like, (laughs) it's like, it's like racial sensitivity just because of how you were raised, just because of the generation you come from. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's what it amounts to, basically. She doesn't mean any harm, but she still manages to insult an entire continent. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was fantastic. I loved I loved every part of that whole scene. It's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, and then the Drac Pack, they're still fun and fancy free, which is actually they're they're more fun and more fancy free now that they're just, hey, doing monster selfies with the with locals. Oh, I love how totally emasculated they become. <laughs> It's great. Like, and then they're trying to tell, they're trying to tell Dracula that he needs to, you know, lighten up. He's like, "Come on, man! Like, Bigfoot, he's rocking it at the German soccer league." <laughs> and it's just this giant foot in front of the, in front of the goalie. Giant yeah. foot. I love it. Oh, I liked them. I, I like the part where. Um... Oh, we haven't talked about Murray yet. You know, uh, CeeLo Green, Lord bless him, keep him, got in trouble. And because of his indiscretion, he is now in jail. And uh, so now we've got um, one of the guys from Key and Peel. I forget if it's Peel or Key. But he was the new Murray. And I loved his um, his little moment where he's supposed to conjure up a sandstorm. <laughs> and it totally doesn't work because <laughs> of his back. And, you know, he gets the hottest date to the wedding. Oh, and then the Invisible Man supposedly has a date that he's been recording. They're like, oh, the Invisible Girl thing again. Yeah, right. I love that. He's like, we're not allowed to say anything about this? Nothing at all? We're really not allowed to confront this? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The jokes write themselves. (laughs) They really do. Oh, man. It was, you know, the funny thing about the drag pack is, you know, the common vein with all of them is that they aren't as scary or as, you know, monstery as they used to be. They're pretty pathetic. They're pretty tame. You know, I think the moment with Wayne and the deer, like, oh, man, oh. easy. Oh, yeah, but your, your girlfriend from Canada, someone <laughs> brought up on the chat. 
Oh, I remember that. That was so good. <laughs> okay, so Vlad, is this what you look like when when is this what Dracula will look like when he gets old? Yeah, basically. He's the most crotchety looking vampire I've ever seen. <laughs> so anyway, but I I really enjoyed Vlad. He was very very of the Gendy Tartakovsky style. Like I could see him being drawn in two D and then as a character in Samurai Jack or or something like. Dexter's lab, you know, he was very goofy, very kooky, and he had all the all the required facial expressions and and movements and stuff. It's like maybe if Gandhi Tartakovsky had been able to work with Hotel Transylvania one from the ground up, basically, instead of jumping in as the sixth director for the first film, maybe some of the main characters would have looked different. Maybe they would have looked more like Vlad than um, Drac. Well, I feel like if you have Mel Brooks voice any one of your characters, that's kind of the character you're going to get. So his voice just, like, conjures that type of a face in my head. Yeah, I, I love Mel so. Brooks. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love Mel Brooks. Like, it's just, I mean, it's kind of like when they had Fran Dresser come in as uh, uh, Fring, the wife of uh, Frankenstein's bride. Fran Dresser. Uh, yeah, and it was just like... <laughs> Of course, it's gonna be just like her. Yeah, it's just I like it. So with Vlad, I think I've mentioned this before, but I thought it was kind of a disappointment. They seemed really set on making sure that he wasn't a villain. You know that he's the grandpa, and we can't have him be the bad guy. And so uh, they really made it so the minion was the bad guy. The minion we didn't care about. We had no relationship with really. There was no tie between Mavis or Dennis or Jonathan or Dracula to the minion, you know? So uh, I yeah. think something that if to make this film a little stronger, you either go all out and you make him a villain or you just remove him entirely and stop <clears throat> utilizing him. Like he was supposed to be this, the biggest, baddest vampire of all time. And I yeah. even the fact that he lived in this lair and never left it and had thousands of these giant bat creatures. I didn't really get that. I mean, they should have shown him on his travels here, you know, sucking every mortal's blood that comes in his path to really set up that anticipation that, oh, this is not good. Mm -hmm. You know, which was a bummer. That's the thing. Sorry, I'm eating a scone. Um, That's the thing. There's no, there's blood drinking in the film, but there's no biting. Yeah. And that was never anything that we saw. Do we see that much in the first film? No. no, there's no biting. Because they found a, a blood substitute. You know, it's, yeah. it's so much, so much better for you. Yeah, it's really fatty. <laughs> this is really fatty. <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. Really I, I thought that Vlad was entertaining, but he did come in way too late in the game, and the whole third act seemed very rushed. And the thing about his his racist bat henchmen, they're some of the most obnoxious characters I've ever seen in an animated film. And I bet yeah. the filmmakers were like, all right, we've introduced these characters that no one cares about that are going to be our villain rather than Vlad. So we need to make them so nasty that the audience has no remorse or sympathy for them as they're getting the crack beat out of them by the other characters. Because, as we know, the only way to fight racial prejudice is by beating people up. <laughs> and so violence solves the answer in that case, apparently. They make him, his voice is so nasty sounding. And then he, you know, he captures, um, captures Dennis and um, the little wolfy girl that has a crush on him. What are their children going to look like? And then 
he gets in on their face and his voice is he gets so evil and stuff and so I guess they make him they had to make them so despicable that no one would care or that they would cheer on the other characters as they're pummeling them to a bloody pulp. Well, I feel like that was kind of one of those themes throughout this movie. It, they basically really made fun of the fact that we, you know, hooray, everyone's a winner. And, uh, you know, just coddling <laughs> children. And, oh, no, we can't do this anymore because oh, of the Oh, yes, it brings issue. me up to the summer camp. Uh, the summer camp was great. <laughs> but, it, like, they had so much of that throughout the whole movie, like, just joking on the fact that it's like, come on, people. Their kids are going to – kids are – they're like rubber. They bounce. They'll be fine. And, you know, I think it's a generational thing for sure. Like, I grew up, my my parents are in an older generation than a lot of my, of my peers. And so I have a lot less, um, like, my parents would not have cared when I was six years old if I had my seatbelt on or if I, I mean, they cared, obviously. But it was just like, it wasn't like, you have to be sitting in your booster seat at this time at, you know, it, it just wasn't like that. Not, I'm not saying that we should all throw all rules out the window. I'm not, but I'm also saying that it's like, there's, there's gotta be a line. Like there's gotta be a point when you just gotta be like, Hey, there's, you're taking things a little too far now. <laughs> justify your childhood. Yeah, I am. Right. <laughs> right. No, you know, it was funny because there you could see how sanitized even the vampire culture had become. You know, they go to vampire camp and these are legitimate <laughs> vampire children and you can't do test flights off the rickety old crazy platform. No? Okay, now we have to do these little ones from foot above the ground into soft pillows. Oh, great. Oh. Now we're you mean you don't catch them? Yeah. <laughs> The song, the bedtime stories that he would tell Dennis, you know, Mavis thought, oh, that's too much for him, and it's going to give him nightmares, and it ended up putting him perfectly. Oh, yeah, show him show him your monster show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everything, every time, uh, I don't know. It's like there's a lot of moments where Dracula's just, like, glaring and, like, extremely disappointed in everything that's surrounding him. I love the camp. The campfire song. His face is like so angry. <laughs> that camp counselor was funny. Uh, but I don't even this. That's Dana Carvey. That's um. That's um. The guy from uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Dana Carvey. No, but maybe funny. She's a vampire, and she grew up this way. But it was funny how even just a generation apart, they've adopted some of these, you know, new age methods and whatnot and she well it could be she was raised in a castle without any other contact i don't think yeah but you would think that she as a mother would likewise treat you know have her children be taught the same way but no she had completely gone to the sanitized no show them your monster movie like (laughs) that's that's a good one which you've known that she is definitely adapted to more of a a tame human sort of life Yeah. yeah So anyway, I guess in summation, for me, the plot was weak, especially around the end. And then there was, really wasn't any exposition. The film didn't start till like 30 minutes. Like the real story didn't start till like 30 minutes into the film. Because it showed, showed the wedding, showed the pregnancy, showed the birth where Dracula dresses up as a, like a buxom nurse. And it was really awkward. And then... Uh, so, and then we get to see the first five years of Dennis's life, you know, just to kind of set stuff up. And you know what? I think I was okay with that. It's just the ending was extremely rushed. Yeah. 
and just kind of, I hate to say contrived, but maybe it was going in that direction. I liked the beginning. I thought, you know, it, it was slowly setting things up, you know, establishing their relationship, where they were at in their lives, the baby, all those things. And I liked it because I like seeing this little, you know, family unit grow. Um, and then I did like the middle part. I liked when Mavis was in human world because she had all these expectations about how amazing it was and how she'd be able to fit in and we saw that she actually did it that she was struggling that she was actually kind of weird uh, but then there was funny parts where she's freaking out about going to the convenience store and wants to try every flavor of the slurpee. oh yeah the slurpee and then she's totally rocking the skate park on the scooter and oh brother i feel like the bmx part was the most worthless part of the film it's like it's like literally some animator wanted to have fun with like a 30 second sequence and it, ha- it did nothing for the plot. So she's and that animator is watching right now. So- no, no, no. I hate to be that guy. I hate to be that guy where it's like, I hate to be that dude who's like so obsessed with story. I only bring that up because when I had, um, I had lunch with Steve Hickner, uh, director at DreamWorks, uh, like a week ago. And he explained that he couldn't get halfway through the first hotel Transylvania. He couldn't get through it. Yeah. Because to him, it seemed like there were it was just a bunch of animators making really fun animated sequences without paying attention to the story. And to him, it was going nowhere. And so certain parts like the BMX scene, while really cool to look at, I guess at the same time, the, you know, the storytelling fan in me was like, hold on, this is doing nothing for the plot. Like, is she going to get injured and we're going to introduce that plot twist? No, no, she's fine. Oh, well, all right. They're, they're off to the next thing. <laughs> so I like gags, like the Slurpee thing, to show how naive and, and fascinated she is with the human world, kind of like Ariel in using the fork. Yeah. And the, the Snorflat in Little Mermaid while they're having dinner. But the BMX thing just kind of took that away. I think had she been like bad at it at first or something, then it would it would be like oh because she, she doesn't know. But she did act appropriately for what you would think she would. You would think that she would do awesome at that. So I guess it's I mean I don't know. I really thought the the part when they're in the convenience store and she's like, hey, we're on one of those TV shows, High World. You're on TV. Yes. And the guy comes over and he's like, High World. High World. Oh yeah, that guy was cute. <laughs> I liked him. I mean, for as much as we can talk about like the the places where they they mess didn't say messed up, but didn't really like expand the story. There were so many of these gags that I just felt like I could totally go in and rewatch this movie and not yes. care at all. Yes, I could watch I this with all of my nieces and nephews each and be like, I can't wait to memorize all of these lines. I can't wait because they're <laughs> they just had so many of them that were so good. So I think where it fails in one or. You know, it lacks in one. It really picks up on the other side. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well well said. I would totally watch this again. Like, mm-hmm. definitely. In fact, I, I think it would be... I would add it to my prestigious piles of videos that I have actually bought and have a copy of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So, we've been talking about Dennis, vampire or not. And as you all know, if you've watched it, Dennis does turn into a vampire. Being captured by the racist bat minions um, <laughs> drives him to to beast mode, basically. And he grows his fangs, and he has vampire powers, and he beats the he leads the charge against uh, the bat minion dudes. So 
were y'all okay with that? That this whole film was about, is Dracula going to be okay if Dennis is not a vampire? And then he's a vampire at the end. Go. You know, I feel that it would have been better character development for Dracula if if Dennis did not become a vampire. Um, I felt that it was kind of an easy out, and it didn't give Dracula any real motivation to grow. Like, slightly grew, um, but not as much as he would have had to if he would have had to accept it that his son is now a human forever. Um, so, I mean, the way it worked out was fine, but I do think it could have been better as we've been Yeah, I'll say that. I, I liked how Morgan was saying, like, if they would really would have focused the story on Mavis and made that the tr- the main conflict, um, it would have been great. And, but I mean, once again, it's just, it f- kind of felt like they were just kind of trying to just finish it. It's like, just, just finish the movie. Like, just, we're done. <laughs> We've run out of gags, but, <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, totally. I thought it was kind of dumb that he turned into a vampire at the end. I thought... As you as I explained, I thought that Vlad was going to try to bite him. They would stop him. Everybody would learn a lesson, and then they would go home. It's like he turns into a vampire, and it's like, then what was the main plot for in the first place? It's like on Ringo when the mole people were like, then what the heck have we been shooting each other for? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was not that pleased with that, with that as I was not that pleased with the ending. Down to the obligatory dance party. <laughs> It's like, if, if it wasn't Dennis's birthday party, I would have been like, what, do they just have spontaneous dance parties whenever they want? Why can't I do that with my life? <laughs> you know? I do it every uh, every day. The end of my day ends with an obligatory dance party. Just <laughs> <laughs> come over, it's great. Wow. No, I, I think it's like, at this point, if you don't have a dramatic ending, then just throw in a dance party. Yeah, you wouldn't have a dance party at the end of um, How to Train Your Dragon 2. <laughs> Can you imagine if they did that? They're like, oh, I'm really going to miss you, Dad. And now there's an evil warlord trying to take over dragons. Well, let's start a Viking dance party, guys. <laughs> they have Fifth Harmony do a song for, for How to Train Your Dragon 2. <laughs> No offense, Ben or Rose, but... How do, how do you guys feel about the music, spe- speaking of? Uh, I can't even remember any of the music. I can't remember anything well, except so- for... Except for... Suffer, suffer, scream in pain. <laughs> Blood is spilling out your brain. <laughs> that was a good one, yeah. No, I felt like using the... The fact that the, in both of these movies... So I mean, it's a continuation, so in both movies they're going to be using a little bit more of the, the pop... Um, really popular top 40 type stuff thrown in there. Yeah, it's um, going to be Shrek style. Yeah, and you know, I most of the songs I like that they put in there, but I just, I didn't like that they put them in there. I felt like it dated the movie in that way, and so I was like, it's just kind of sad. But, I mean, I liked some of the, I liked all the other ones. Like all of the original songs that they had in there that were just like, I like this, I can do that. So I wish they would have gone more toward that side. Yeah, the score was very forgettable. I, I really don't remember anything about the music. Yeah, I totally except for Except for Fifth Harmony at the end of the movie. <laughs> All right, so I asked our friends on Twitter and Facebook, I said, which film do you prefer and why? Hotel Transylvania or Hotel Transylvania? Ooh. And 
S on Twitter says Hotel Transylvania. The second one is funny, but the first was way better. And on Twitter or on Facebook, Lisa Wagner says Hotel One because I think it used the ensemble cast better. Hotel Two had we hardly got to hear from people like Fran Drescher and even Mel Brooks wasn't much. Was better. yeah. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel says in terms of character development, of course my favorite will be Dennis. Hotel Two delivers it, but in terms of storyline, Hotel One fared better. Raymond says one by a very small margin. And then our last one, Dustin Lee Richardson. He says the second one because it had less pop songs, JK. I think if I had to choose, it'd be the first one. Something I noticed right off the bat, pun intended, with Hotel 2 is that it was immediately ah! making jokes and references to the first movie. I think a lot of people would be lost if they hadn't seen the first or forgot a lot of the jokes from it. The animation is stunning in both films, as expected from, again, Geek Hardikovsky. But I felt like it improved quite a bit in the second. I also loved Mel Brooks. That fa- My favorite thing about the second movie was the camp scene. So much truth in that generational gap about how we raise children now. No kidding. So that is all. <laughs> Common core for vampires. Anyway, uh, hey, what did you think about the hand-drawn credits? Uh, I, I thought love- that was fun. I always think that's a very fun way to, you know, get... The, the the 2D animation on a very small scale and have it really satisfy that audience that is really nostalgic and craving that. And I felt... I, really, I, I want to learn more about the credits. I wonder if Gendy Tartakovsky like, just handled all of that. Uh, it's a shame that you hadn't seen the movie yet before you interviewed him because I feel like you would have had a lot more very specific questions. I would, but I only had 10 minutes with the guy. Yeah, we need another- I hate when they do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so let's, let's rate it. Okay. Ooh, rating. I don't want to go first. I don't know what to rate it. I'll go first. Um, so all in all, I liked the movie. I it was the ending was not my favorite. It was seemed too rush, and it didn't really mean anything to me. And I was just kind of like, eh. But the whole movie was about the gags, mm. and just for that, I think I laughed more in this movie than I did in the first. And I would end up watching this one over the first just for that reason. So in that way, I would say that I liked the second one better. But if I'm looking at it just like what was said before, you know, plot, definitely better over here. Anyway, I'm going to give this movie three stars all around. I'm pretty sure I gave the first one more, but three stars just for the replay value is good for me. All right, all right. I want to hear yours, Morgan, because apparently you won't be able to handle Morgan's not reading on here. He's referencing in the chat where I gave the impression that I was going to give this a super-duper low rating, and that is not true. I said it was going to be low, as in lower than what I gave the initial film. And no, 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 Morgan, I, Morgan, I've already, I've already written an article on rotoscopers.com titled Five Reasons Why You Won't Be Able to Handle Morgan's Rating for Hotel Transylvania 2. So no. <laughs> being super harsh on this show um you know i saw this film and i loved it you heard me raving about it in the first in the first review that we had done but it was more raving about it from more of a superficial like i went in and i had a good time and i laughed and i left and i you know was thoroughly enjoyed with everything that i saw however that being said I still do recognize that there are some issues with the plot that I think could have been addressed better. While it was very gag-heavy and um, and whatnot, I felt that 
at certain times the characters really suffered and lacked because we weren't able to focus on developing some of them as much like example jonathan where the heck was he the whole time maybe not her time and dracula of course but then there was the drac pack and you know they they really didn't they just kind of felt tacked on like oh we got to throw him in the car and and do this journey but uh you know and you got to say one line he's got to say one line and okay we got our our quota down but um, it didn't feel as natural, I guess, as the first one. And I just feel that the first one was really such a unique novel concept. I liked in the second one that we were able to see these characters again, and I enjoyed seeing them again. Um, and so I'm going to give it three and a half stars, which is actually higher than Chelsea and not that bad after all. <laughs> the first one, four stars. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go with three and a half stars as well. They, I feel like for such a big cast, they really didn't, they really didn't use the huge celebrity cast that they had in the first one, the way they did in the first one. Cause they expanded so much, you know? And so I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you make a sequel without like nixing a bunch of the characters that made the first film. So I am giving it three and a half stars because I thought the animation was really masterful. Like I would definitely watch it again as like a benchmark <laughs> for really interesting CG animation and, and rigging and character setup and stuff. Like I can't imagine the, the workload that their character technical directors had for just making these characters possible. It's fascinating, but I didn't, I can't get past the ending. It's hard for me, for me to forgive the movie for that, for the ending. (laughs) I feel like I, I feel like I wrote, I could have written a better ending. Like I feel like my ending for this film was better than the one they gave us. But anyway, anyway, yeah. So three and a half stars, it was a good film. But it was missing some some key components to make an all-around great film, I guess. Yeah. I... That's all I got. All right. Well, we are going to now move into our voicemail section. So we had two people send voicemails in, and one of and both of them are regulars on the voicemail segment. So here is our first one from Rachel giving us her review. Hi, Rotoscopers. So I saw Hotel Transylvania last week, and I thought it was okay. I enjoyed it for what it was. And one thing, though, that bothered me was that it has all of these celebrity voices that I felt like were really, really underused. Someone like a Fran Drescher only gets like three lines in the whole movie. Uh, And even Mel Brooks, I felt like, was underused. Uh, I was surprised how little his character was in the film. And I guess I wonder why bother having a celebrity voice cast, especially one like a Mel Brooks that kids aren't going to know, uh, if uh, if you're not going to use them very much. Why not just use a voice actor? And I was wondering if that was something that bothered you guys in recent films. I've seen that quite a bit with celebrity voice casting. Uh, so thanks. Hmm. Or for a sequel, because you do establish establish this ensemble cast of characters, it'd be kind of weird if we didn't bring some of them back or all of them, or if the whole drag pack was suddenly missing. Um, but then in other films, we we have a huge ensemble cast, but only you know hire them for an hour's worth of time, and then they're out of the studio and done. Well, uh, I kind of get that. Like I, I, that was part of my low rating. Like I do agree that they underused, as as Rachel said, the the large celebrity cast as far as Mel Brooks, I think it's important if you're, I think it's good to have, you know, voice actors with connections to certain roles. Like there was a reason why Mel Brooks was cast as Vlad. And the whole thing about kids not understanding it, it goes against uh, my personal theory that animation isn't for kids, it's for everyone. And so uh, I, I feel like including Mel Brooks 
was definitely intended to appease adult audiences rather than the the children audiences. Yeah. Selena Gomez was for the children. <laughs> You're definitely going to get certain people coming to the theaters because of a name. I mean, it happens. That's true. I but didn't I... go to this film for Andy Samberg, though, although I love him. Our next one is from Sarah. Hello, Rhoda. It's Jeffrey. I'm here to leave a voicemail for your Hotel Transylvania 2 episode. Yay. Um, I have not seen it yet as of time I'm recording this, which is October 1st. Um, <laughs> we all be seeing this in the next few weeks, but I'm still going to go to the live stream because I'm a rebel and I don't want to miss out. Um, yeah, I try not to go like the first few weeks a movie is out because my theater experience is usually like with the Masons with the um, Monsters University episode. So that poses another interesting question. Do you avoid the theaters for the first few weeks that a film is out because of the experience of overcrowding or it just being super busy? Some movies you have to get there very early to get a decent seat. So what is your movie strategy when you go and see films? My movie theater strategy is the same as when they open up a new In-N-Out in town. You just don't go in for the first couple of weeks because everyone's going to be in there. But uh, not that I eat in and out anyway. But uh, yeah, we've had some pretty bad experiences with watching a movie on the opening weekend. And so Shannon and I, we tend to watch it maybe the maybe the, the next week or something like that. And then actually, we actually skip a lot of movies for rental for like Redbox because... We like hanging out in our PJs and hanging out on the couch and watching our movies. I'm, I'm not the type of person who's like, I have to be the first to see this movie because I'm going to see it eventually. And, you know, I don't need to be the first because, I don't know, I guess I just don't put, put a lot of value in being the first person to see a movie. But I will be excited about seeing the movie in general. I will oh, I'll eventually see it. Clearly don't suffer from FOMO, which is fear of missing right. And I, and that might be a total disadvantage for me when I if I get into the animation industry and start working like being surrounded by people who are so excited about new films that they that they go and see them opening night you know I'll have to just go to go to like find that magic hour when kids are least likely to be in the theater actually I've had more problems with adults in the theater drunken <laughs> adults <laughs> I um, when I was single I would see movies opening weekend a lot um, yeah. That was the fun thing to do. That was something you did with a group of friends. Um, now, you know, with the rotoscopers, I get to see the films even before they come out, which is kind of cool. Um, so if there's for some reason that I don't end up seeing a movie in a press screening. Um, oh, look at you. We'll usually, and I'm just being honest here. I mean, we will usually wait a few weeks unless it's something that is so good. We have to see it opening weekend. And for some reason we hadn't already seen it, but um, I feel like, like example, The Martian. We didn't get to go see The Martian, but I really want to see it, and I imagine we'll go see it in a few weeks after it's died down a little bit. Isn't that just a prequel to Interstellar? Basically, it, every year they come out a movie that's. I, I'm just kidding, but anyway. For me, I would say I am all about the social aspect of it. So if it is a movie that I feel like I can, there's a lot of people going, then uh. or. 
um, if I feel like a lot of my friends would end up going, then yeah, I would definitely go see it earlier rather than later. But also looking at my my history, there are very few films that are like that. And so it just, it really depends on the film. Um, if it's a film that I'm like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And I didn't, you know, happen to get like an early screening if I didn't get a, a group together or something, if it wasn't a, a party, <laughs> then I'm probably not going to see it until a couple of weeks after. All right, so we have one final question. This is actually from, we have a chat on rotoscopers.com slash live, but actually if you are on the YouTube page watching live, there is a chat that is only available during the live show. And someone Holy has, cow. has a question for Mason, and they say, Mason, have you gotten a hold of the zombie production rig from the first movie? Oh, have I gotten a hold of the zombie production rig? No, I haven't because I've been working on making my own rigs and for school. <laughs> Uh, one day. But I, I I really don't have time to like play around and do my own like animation stuff because of homework. I know I know that's not I know that's not a good excuse, but like if you if you like understood how intense my program was, you would be. But we are doing cool things. I am I'm doing an assignment where we're making a procedurally generated rig at the click of a button. Like I click a button and it, it loads my character rig instantaneously. Like we're scripting all that and um, I'm really excited to to push through that project and finish that up. Awesome. Nice. But yeah, I haven't I haven't played with the zombie rig yet. I feel like a loser for saying no, but <laughs> there you have it. I'm in love with a monster. I'm in love. I'm in love. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. This concludes our two-part special uh, featuring and highlighting Jendi Kartakovsky's amazing films, Hotel Transylvania and Hotel Transylvania 2. Uh, one, one, one last question. Sure. Is the third one confirmed? Um, I think, I don't yeah, know. I've heard, I've heard a rumor that there's going to be a third one and that Jendi Tartakovsky is not going to be involved in, yeah, in it. If there is a third one, he will not be involved, he has said. he's going to Oh, be if there is, okay. Then why would anyone see it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know it's not all him, like the zany style and and writing. Like Adam Sandler did half of the, like, he was got half the writing credit for this film. So, I mean, obviously he had a lot of input. But like, as far as the animation and stylistic choices, like, what is it gonna? It's gonna be so different, I imagine. Yeah, it would either be different or it would rest on its laurels and it wouldn't push the boundaries anywhere. It'd just try to copy and mimic what it had done and the style that it had worked with in the first film, mm -hmm. or at first and second. So yeah, we, will, we will see. But for our next episode, we are going to be doing a very requested episode. This is a patron choice, and we are doing Lilo and Stitch. We already have about. Ooh queued up for this episode so people are very excited they're pumped and i am too this is um, a great film it comes in a very interesting time in disney's history oh yeah about that and how well the film did so next episode we are going to be recording two weeks from now we have moved our recording date to tuesdays at 5 30 p.m pacific daylight time just because we had some shifts in schedules 
uh, Mondays aren't as free as they used to be. So Tuesday is the new day. So update your calendars. And of course, you can find the updated calendar on the bottom of the website, on the footer, and also at rotoscopers.com slash live. I go in and I include the, the next two or three episodes, links to those YouTube videos so you can save them and be ready and, and whatnot. So thank you, everybody who has joined us live, who's joined us for the live chat. It's really fun to have this new way to experience the podcast with the listeners and you know other people who've been here um, and join in on the fun. So thank you so much. You can find us, of course, rotoscopers.com slash 105. That's where you can find the show notes. If you weren't able to join us live, you can give your review of the film. I'm very interested to see if it is as harsh as my horrible 3.5. Oh, my gosh. So intense. In the comments, and of course, you can find us on all sorts of social media places Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If it exists, we are there, so follow us because it's really fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, anything else you guys want to mention? I said, I want to say thank you to our the couple people who have given us five star reviews on iTunes. We've got um, Silk Roadrunner. Uh, gave said it was entertaining, informative, and nostalgic. And we also have uh, the ultimate phantom fan, my favorite podcast. Oh. He says, and then happy panda bear just don't care, perfect podcast. Thank happy you. Happy panda bear just don't care. <laughs> All right. All right. That's fine. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for giving us five stars. That makes that really makes us happy. Thank you. And if you want to leave us a five-star review, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash iTunes. That's where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and also leave us a review. If you like the show, please share the love. You know, share this with some friends on Facebook, on through social media, or just leave us a review telling us how much you appreciate and like the show, and we would appreciate that very much. And, of course, other ways to support the show, rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. That's if you are interested in becoming the 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 top echelon of Rotoscopers listeners and you get a lot of fun perks there. So you can go to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon to learn more about how to become a patron and a monthly patron of the show. Also, if you shop on Amazon, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon and rotoscopers.com CA if you're in Canada and we also have slash Amazon UK and mostly all the Amazon country codes are included. So Go there and do start your Amazon shopping with our link, and it really helps us support the show. So that way, we're able to, you know, upgrade our microphones and get Mason a webcam and all these different things to make the Hello. show ultimately for you. So thank you so much, and we appreciate it. So until our, until our next episode, the long-awaited Lilo and Stitch. I have never seen Lilo and Stitch before, so this is gonna be good. <gasps> Reveal. <laughs> Epic reveal. Oh, I totally revealed it in the 100th episode, didn't I? Yes, probably. <laughs> but until then, we are the Rotoscopers. Somos Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers.